There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see And I look upon his face The one that saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land What a day, glorious day That will be And what a day that will be, amen? That's good. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles again. Turn over to the bark, uh, bark, the book of Mark. Wasn't that something? Boy, it's going to be an interesting night already, I can tell. The book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 3 through 9. We began our lesson there giving uh, your best to the Lord, you know, just about giving our best and we started talking about that last week, addressing that issue, and uh, we want to continue with that thought. What a tremendous passage, and what an amazingly inspiring uh, portion of Scripture this is. And so we see here in the book of Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 3, uh, the Bible says, Mark, exactly, <laughs> just seeing, making sure that you guys are on target here tonight. just want to make sure as I... Just let me, let me just uh, find my place here. Okay, there we go. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. Okay, I was ready to read it. Hey, it's all good, right? All the words good, amen? And that was, are you trying to tell me that Luke wasn't an amazing passage in the Bible? Okay, so anyway, Mark chapter 14. Wow. Let's try this again. Verse 3. 
And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? Or it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to, be, to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. Well, last week we talked about this passage and we noted a number of things in it and we kind of kicked off this particular lesson with just kind of reviewing the passage and trying to ask ourselves, what do we learn from it? Well, of course, we know that we have this woman here and she's unnamed, but we know that as a result of that, we can all identify with her. And the fact is, is that the Bible tells us that there were those that were upset that she had spent this uh, very expensive ointment on the Lord Jesus Christ. So expensive was it that it was said that it could have been sold for 300 pence, which basically would be somewhat of a year's wage in that time, which that's a lot of money, let's face it. But yet in this particular case, people were not appreciative of her expression of love and admiration for the Savior. And we find that that's sometimes the case even in the day and age in which we live. But we know that the Lord said, let her alone. I mean, she's done a good thing. She she's did what she could. And boy, we found out that that's what we ought to do. We need to do what we can too, right? You know, you can't do what you can't do, but you can do what you can do. And I know that sounds pretty ri- ridiculous, but it's pretty profound. So we, we said, well, what do we learn from the passage as we considered it as a whole? We said, well, much of what we spend our time and money on is soon forgotten. But that which is spent on the Lord will be remembered always. Not only that, but we said, don't allow the criticism of a few to discourage you from giving your best to God and others. And finally, we said, well, never lose sight of or forget who you're really spending your best on. That's Jesus. Well, I think it's important that we do that. So the woman gave the precious ointment in an alabaster box. You may not have an alabaster box and you may not have precious ointment to give to the Lord Jesus Christ, but what can you give to the Lord Jesus? What can I give? And that's the question we want to ask tonight. What can we give to the Lord Jesus? So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll look at just just a couple of things, three simple things that we can give. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love tonight. May you allow your Holy Spirit to drive home your truths. We realize, Lord, that we're simply the branches. You're the vine, and we can do nothing without you. We ask that, once again, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would anoint my lips. I beg you, Father, to fill me, and then, Lord, to fill each and every person, that our hearts would be knit together, that we would be able to receive from your word exactly what you want for us. Father, you want us to grow in the Christian life as we learn more about your Son, as we learn more about you, as we, Father, Glean from the Word of God, you want us to grow in it. 
Help us to do that tonight. We'll thank you, we'll praise you for what you will reveal to us and what you will help us with. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So what can we give to the Lord? Again, we don't have the alabaster box necessarily. We don't have that precious ointment to, 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 to anoint the Lord Jesus Christ with, but I believe there's at least three gifts which all of us can bring to the Lord. Number one, we can give him the best of our love. We can give him the best of our love. You know, that's exactly what the woman really did. She gave the best she had, yes, but she really gave it out of love. That's why she gave it, really. Even though the ointment was costly and the box was of great value, the real gift she brought to him was nothing less than all of her love. And you know, that's what God seeks from from all of his creation. God wants the love of all those he's created. Early on, God emphasized this truth in the book of Deuteronomy. Turn there, would you? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Again, God is desirous of and and longing for the love of his creation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, as he begins to deal with Israel as a nation, we note that he gives them this instruction. He tells them in chapter 6, verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Again, as he, 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 he makes it very clear that what he desires of them is their love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. So important was that desire to the Lord that he restates it again in the New Testament. I want you to look now over in the book of Matthew chapter 22. Again, he restates it. He doesn't just leave it there in the Old Testament to kind of take root, although it does, but he wants it now to be mentioned all over again in the New Testament to remind us again of what is valuable, what's important, what our priorities ought to be in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here in chapter 22, verse 37 and 28, uh, 38, excuse me. Chapter 22, Matthew 37 through 38. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. I think God now, he really clarifies, doesn't he? If you had any doubt that this element was priority on God's list from his creation toward him, there's no doubt now that God's making it clear. If there's anything I want for you, if there's one thing that I demand of you, if there's, if there's one thing that, I'm very, uh, uh, that I long for from you, my creation, it's your love. There, there is no greater commandment. This right here is the first and greatest of all commandments, to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. We can all give him our love. You might not have a million dollars, but you have love to give. You may not be an intellectual giant, but you have love to give. You may not be a physical Madonna or Madonnas or whatever that is. I hate it when people would call me names like that. But you can give your love. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, turn there, Matthew 10 this time. I mean, you're over in Matthew anyway, verse 37 this time. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. An often misunderstood passage, actually. 
in the day and age in which we live, it's amazing sometimes how, how misunderstood this passage becomes. And how out of context it's taken. But notice Matthew 10, verse 37. The Lord Jesus speaking, he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know what people do? They, they begin to put things on a scale now. And they start to say, oh, so, I'm supposed to, so what am I supposed to do? Not love my mother and father, not love uh, my children. What's he telling me? To neglect my mom and dad, to neglect my kids? That's the mentality so often that seems to come back. I, I don't ever understand that. Because that's not that the intention whatsoever. But, but it's interesting how people get defensive whenever there's a comparison, say, okay, love toward this versus love toward that. And, and, and again, we remember the great commandment, the first and great commandment. I think it's important that not only that, that we remember who created us, first of all. I think that goes a long ways to understanding why he demands our first love. Hold on. I think I can, I, I think I can put this in perspective. It, it, again, at first glance, the passage may seem somewhat harsh or maybe even unreasonable to people, but let me put it this way. Let's say, let me say it this way. As long as you love another more than your wife, you're not worthy of her. Okay, well that, does that make sense to you? See, as long as you love another more than you love your wife, sir, then she, you're not worthy of her. Wait, I think that makes perfect sense, and I think we can agree with that, especially the ladies in the room. Let me, let me, let me say this. What, why is it when God says that? If you love someone more than me, you're not worthy of me. After everything he's done for us, after all that he's given us, after everything that we, we owe him, how can we ever be upset with him demanding the best of our love? There shouldn't be anyone or anything that we love more than God, right? I mean, isn't, I mean, isn't that true? Let's just put it this way. Um, I have a, a wonderful, beautiful wife, but the truth is I wouldn't have her without God. So who should I love more? Love your wife more. You should sacrifice for her. It's always about her. No, it isn't. It's about him. If I sacrifice for her, it's because he commands me to do so. It's an amazing thing how we get our allegiances and our alliances and our priorities and our, 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 our priorities mixed up in this thing. Listen, we can all give our love. This woman went to Jesus Christ and there she anointed him and people were not happy with that. They thought, hey, her priorities are all mixed up. There's all these poor people out there she could be helping. She could have sold that ointment instead of wasting it. There's a lot of people in that day that didn't understand her Devotion and love to the Lord either. I'm sure they thought she was neglecting her family, neglecting her friends, neglecting the, the, the culture, neglecting the, the social uh, identity of the, the, the fabric of that nation at that point. Why all these poor people, all these people in need, and here she is throwing it away, wasting it. Really? Is it ever a waste to, to, to pour your love out on the Lord Jesus Christ? No. No, it isn't. See, there shouldn't be anyone or anything we love more than him. But when we love him more than anyone or anything, I'm going to tell you something. You've got plenty of love to go around. That's not a problem when you do that. Have you given him the very best of your love? 
How much do you love him? Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. How much do you love him? How much do I love him? Luke chapter 40, verse 47. Someone says, well, we've got to be getting to that passage where it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. No, we don't actually get there because I couldn't find it. You don't believe that, do you? I just decided not to put it in because I didn't think it was necessary this time. We've heard that one a bunch, haven't we? That's a misunderstood passage too. But nonetheless, Luke chapter 7, verse 40 through 47. Notice what it says. <clears throat> and Jesus answering said unto him, <clears throat> excuse me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. Now, I want you to remember now, remember the, 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 the pence thing, okay? We talked about that, that equaling a day's wage, 500 days wages. We're talking now a year and a half, uh, see, it was 365 days, uh, you know, 500. So we're talking almost a year, year and a half here of wage versus somebody that owes 50 days wages, <clears throat> okay? <clears throat> Just putting it in perspective. And when they had nothing to pay, <clears throat> He frank, frankly forgave them both. He goes on to say, tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Now, if you are a teacher in the bus ministry, in the Sunday school, and you ask that question, they'll say the one that owed him 50. I have no idea why that is. But that's what they do. Go figure. <clears throat> I'm not making fun. I'm telling you the honest truth. I don't get it. But anyway, so nonetheless, I think they just don't understand what a pence is maybe or something. They've got to explain to them a little bit more down to their level a little bit. <clears throat> but nonetheless, you ought to work with bus kids. You would love working with bus kids. There are challenges with dealing with bus kids, but let me tell you something. It is really, really a wonderful thing. It's, it is unique, to say the least. <clears throat> you learn a lot about yourself when you work with them. You learn a lot about yourself. And it uh, makes you better for having done so. And by the way, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of our children would be better off to work with, young, with bus kids too. I really do. I think it'd be good for you to get your kids around bus kids. Your children may, may actually appreciate what they have more. <clears throat> nonetheless, nonetheless, we'll move on. That went over like a lead balloon. <clears throat> so anyway, <clears throat> and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Well, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he, it's interesting, he said, I suppose. He, does he think it's a trick question? I suppose, <laughs> I suppose now, Jesus, okay. I suppose that he, to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. Now hold on. Before this, we start to get the idea, we start, oh, wow, that, you know, who's going to love him more? The one who's forgiven? Yeah, we get that. But what he's really saying, right, we're seeing some things here and we're thinking to ourselves, so 
the more you do for Jesus, the more you love him. Uh, yeah, but hold on. That's not always 100% accurate. Hold on. You can, you can do a lot for Jesus and not really love him. But, but notice how, where he turns it again. He goes back to the original statement. He goes back to where he began this whole conversation. And he says, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, which are many are forgiven, which are many are forgiven. You see that? For she loved much, but to whom little is what? Forgiven, the same loveth little. If we have little love for the master, you want to know why? Because we don't feel like we've been forgiven much. We don't owe him much. He didn't do that much for me. I was a pretty good person already before I ever came to him. He's actually pretty lucky he's got me because I'm a pretty good catch. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. I mean, the love you have for God is proportionate to the degree you feel forgiven is what he's saying. Did you, did you get that? I mean, the love you have for God is proportionate to the degree you feel forgiven. If you don't feel like you've been forgiven much, and I'm not talking about, listen, I'm not, listen, this is not the case. We got some young men here who've never been out in the world, praise God, have never drank liquor, have never probably smoked cigarettes, have never gotten involved in drugs. Hey, that's wonderful. Uh, listen, uh, but, but hold on. The question is, how forgiven do they feel? It's not, not how forgiven do you believe them to be. That doesn't determine how much they love God based on what you believe they've been forgiven. It's what they believe they've been forgiven. See, if they don't understand how much they've been forgiven, the truth is, is there's not one infant child, there's not one child that turns 9, 10, 11 that claims Christ that didn't need the same amount of blood shed and the same amount of suffering from Christ and the same uh, efficable uh, uh, sacrifice that the, the worst sinner in the world ever needed. Listen, Adolf Hitler doesn't need any more blood, any more sacrifice than I needed. And if Adolf Hitler is in heaven today, it's because he trusted in Jesus Christ just like I need to. Now, listen, someone says, you think he is? I, listen, that's stupid. Are we even going to discuss that right now? My point is I just brought it up to say, when you think of him and you think about one of these teenage boys or girls that have never been out in sin at all, you think to yourself sometimes, boy, take a lot more of Jesus' blood, take a bigger sacrifice for him. Boy, it's really a big deal that he got saved. I'm going to tell you something. It's just as big a deal if they get saved. But the question isn't, the question isn't whether or not we think it was a big deal for someone to get saved. The question is, do you think it was a big deal that you got saved? Are you convinced that your salvation demanded a tremendous amount of God's sacrifice and that it required so much forgiveness that you could never repay the Lord Jesus Christ? I promise you, you'll love him much. And that was, that was Jesus' point. When we get to the place where we feel like we haven't been forgiven that much. We're not really going to love him much. It's a pretty basic principle. It's, it's funny. Uh, the, when 67-year-old Carpenter Russell Herman died, Carpenter, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, a 60-year-old, when, when a 60-year-old Carpenter Her, Russell Herman, okay, I make sure I make that clear. When a 60-year-old Carpenter Russell Herman died in 1994, that was the year we started Community Baptist Temple, his will included a staggering set of bequests. So they open his will, they begin to read. It included, get this, it included in his plan for distribution more than $2 billion for the city of East St. Louis. Another billion and a half for the state of Illinois. 
$2.5 billion for the National Forest System. And to top, all, to top off his list, Herman left $6 trillion to the government to help pay off the national debt. I mean, that sounds amazingly generous, doesn't it? There's one small problem. Herman's only asset when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. That's all he really had. Now, the will bequeathed all kind of money to everybody, but there was nothing there to give. I mean, he made this grand pronouncement, but there's no generosity involved at all because there was nothing there to give. His promises were meaningless, Again, because there's nothing to back them up. You know, we can make all kinds of swelling speeches about how much we love God. But they mean nothing if we fail to act on them. Anybody can say, I love you. It's a whole other thing to prove it. And as believers tonight, we need to prove it, don't we? We need to prove it. See, that's something that we can give. We may not have an alabaster box full of precious ointment, but we can give the Lord Jesus our love, the best of our love. Number two, we can give him the best of our years. What a privilege it is for anyone to give their their Lord and Savior their whole life. I'm talking about from beginning to end. Wouldn't it be wonderful from the moment you're saved, especially if early on in your life you can give it to him in all the freshness and all the vigor. Give it all to Jesus Christ. He's worthy of it, isn't he? Isn't he worthy of our best, the best of our strength, the best of our man or womanhood? Isn't he worthy of it all? Of course he is. I wonder... Do you think it's possible to know that we belong to the Lord and, and yet keep the best of our strength, time, and gifts for ourselves? Do you think that's possible? You know, I mean, do you think it's possible to know Him, to know who we belong to, and yet still keep the best of our strength, time, and gifts for ourselves? Do you think that's possible? How many have spent hour on end serving sin, feeding the flesh, living for self before coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, but now after knowing him, spend little time giving back to him? It's interesting. I remember reading about a young lady who spent a lot of time out at the bars, and she would go out dancing until 2 and 3 in the morning and doing all kind of crazy stuff. She gets saved, and she found it hard to even get to church. She didn't have time for it. How's that possible? You know, maybe your life was like that. Maybe you spent some years squandering time, squandering energy, squandering time and talent and all of it that goes with it. Now, as a believer, you find it difficult to even make it to God's house sometimes. You find it hard to give that extra service or that extra time out knocking doors. I'm just wondering, how much time did you spend serving sin? I think we lose sight of things. I think sometimes the best of our years have been given to selfishness, given to things that will be burned up one day. 
I believe that you and I today need to be very cognitive of the fact that God saved us, yes, not simply so that we can have a comfortable ride into heaven, but that we can ultimately continue to serve Him faithfully. Give Him the best of our years. We can all do that. Whatever years you have left, give Him the best of them. God admonished each of us to remember him early on in our lives. He does that. Look, if you would, over in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Notice what he says in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Again, he admonishes each of us to remember him early on in our lives, in our youthfulness, in our, our young age. Notice this. He, he mentions this. <clears throat> he says, remember now, Ecclesiastes 12. Verse 1. Remember now thy creator the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The order you get, isn't it harder to find pleasure in your years? I just visited somebody in the hospital today, and you know what they said to me? If I'm going to feel this sick all the time, I'd rather die and go to heaven. I get it. Now, don't say that too loud in the hospital. You'll be in a psych ward. Because they don't get our hope. You know what I mean? They don't understand what we have to look forward to. See, I get it. See, and, and the older you get, you know what you start to feel? Pains, aches. You, you endure things. Your eyes start to go bad. Your ears go bad. Things start to change. Those years aren't as comfortable and they're not as fun sometimes as they were back in the... You say, yeah, but at least they don't have to work anymore. They're retired. Yeah, and half of them don't have any money. They're broke. Can't rub two nickels together. And, and, and every time you turn around, they're running to the doctor to get something looked at, get something fixed. I'm just saying, the older we get... It, it gets harder to enjoy life. It, it can be more difficult at times. You just don't go out and shoot some baskets. You just don't go for a jog. You don't get to run. You don't just jump up and take off to the store like there's no big deal. I mean, as you get older and things change in your body and your life, it gets difficult. And he says, remember now, you young men, you young ladies, and some of you middle-aged and others of us that still get around good. Hey, remember thou thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Comes a point we live long enough, we'll all be saying, take me, take me home. Now, why is that? I believe that God is encouraging us to give the best of our days the best of our years to him early on because it has to do with momentum. Let me explain. Several years ago, the Peanuts comic strip had Lucy and Charlie Brown practicing football. You remember, right? Lucy, she's going she's gonna to the, hold the ball for Charlie. You know, she gets down, she holds the ball down there, and Charlie, he, he gets way back. I mean, he, he doesn't just take three steps and kick. He doesn't take five or ten. He gets way back, and he just starts going, and he picks up speed, picks up speed, picks, and then what's she do? She picks the ball up right when he goes to kick it and ah, right? You know what his problem was? Momentum. Man, his momentum carried him right through the ball and right into the air and boom, right down. Has anybody ever done something like that to you? And you lost your foot and your foot come out from underneath, you went right on your back. 
You know why? It has to do with centrifugal force. It has to do with momentum. And you know what? I believe he's trying to help us now. He's trying to say to us, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Why? I'll tell you why. If you don't remember him early on, you'll pick up so much momentum in the world that you'll never be able to turn around and go back. How many people have made bad decisions as young men and young ladies and continued down that bad road for years and years and years and in many cases never ever come back to God? Well, you better be careful. You'll pick up so much momentum in the world serving self and serving sin that you will not be able to turn back. And someone says, yeah, well, God will forgive me when I turn back to him. You may never want to. Listen, I remember, and again, I I don't mean to bring up bad memories, but I still remember talking to Uncle Jimmy. And it came to the point where I talked to Uncle Jimmy and I gave him the gospel. My dad had given him the gospel over and over. I began, gave him the gospel over and over and over again. But Uncle Jimmy said, listen, I don't deserve to be saved. I've lived my life. I've lived it the way I wanted to. And Jimmy had drank in his lifetime and he'd done a lot of things. And he said, listen, it's too late for me. It's not too late, Jimmy. He said, nope, I made my decision. Can I tell you, don't think you couldn't be like Uncle Jimmy. Who says, I made my decision. I started off when I was young. And my momentum began to carry me in life. And I couldn't look back anymore. I was moving too fast that direction. And before it was over with, where did he end up? On his back. Life will tear you down. It'll destroy you because Satan wants you down. But you'll get too prideful to even look back. Be careful. It'll cause you a lot of pain and suffering. And I believe that's what he's trying to say to us. Listen, we can all give him the best of our years. But we have to make a decision while we still can. Psalm chapter 90, we're reminded that our days are numbered, and we take a few minutes to look at that, but I want to move finally to the last point. I just want to get things moving along here and finish up with this particular lesson, but we've learned, one, although we may not have an alabaster box, we can give him our best, we can give him the best of our love, we can give him the best of our years, but finally, we can give him the best of our talents. You know, like this woman again, who gave the best that she had, we need to give our best that includes our talents and our, and our abilities. And do you know that everybody has talents? You say, I don't. Yes, you do. Everybody does. I'm not saying that they're all equal. You say, I can't sing. That's not the only talent. I'm not a good speaker. That's not, a good, that's not the only talent. I'm not good with... Listen, we can play that game all day long. Do you, you know, usually know what that leads to? Well, I can't be used, so I'll just sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else. How pitiful is that? Truth is, you have something to contribute. You have something to give. You're all part of the same body, the body of Christ, that this body in this church is a body. We function as one. We need each and every piece and part. If you and I will place at his feet, our talents are all We'll be amazed how he'll use it in a wonderful way. <clears throat> Frances Ridley Havergal, she wrote a, a song, and um, it's in our hymn book. But it goes like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. She goes on to say, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. 
She goes on for another three verses. She finally ends up in verse 6, saying, Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. What a great hymn. What a great song. The truth is, as we close tonight, too often we overly emphasize talent as the key ingredient of success. We really do. We do that out of, I guess, there's a, a kind of a, I don't know, we're trying to protect ourselves sometimes. You know, it, it, it I don't know, we, we look at it and we say, well, I have no talent, therefore the expectation level is really low for me because you've got to have talent to succeed. I don't have a lot of talent, so I can't be expected to succeed. Someone once observed that a wasted life is really nothing more than a collection of wasted days. As God gives us life, each one of us starts the new year with the same number of opportunities. And that number is 365. 365 days we can choose to either use and invest in eternal things or allow to drift by without taking advantage of the gift we've been given. See, the difference between those who succeed and those who fail is not found primarily in talent, but in diligence and effort. Well, if we would get that through our head, if we would understand it's our, 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 our effort and the, the diligence and the commitment and the devotion that we show, not the talent that we perceive ourselves <clears throat> to have or not to have, what a difference that would make. So may we stop lamenting our lack of ability or, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, the devil's obviously getting in my voice because this is pretty important apparently. May we stop lamenting our lack of ability or talent by, and instead develop and exercise what ability and talent we do possess. You may not have the ability to sing like some of the ladies and gentlemen at our church, but if you can sing, sing. I'm not saying if you sound terrible, sing solos. I don't, that ain't going to fly. <clears throat> I'm just saying, though, sing. You may not be the best singer, but if you can hold a tune, get up in our choir. Use the talent for the Lord. Develop that talent. You may get to the place where you're good enough that eventually you can sing in a group or something. Develop things. You might not be the best speaker, but you can start somewhere. You could start speaking at a nursing home. You could start speaking in a Sunday school class with a bunch of children. You could start sharing the gospel in ways that you would ultimately... A, a build you up that would, that, that would, would equip you for other opportunities. <clears throat> Exercise what ability and talent you do have. One year when Christmas Day fell <clears throat> on a Sunday, a particular farmer, he decided to go to church. Like a lot of people, at least it seems, uh, he thought he was kind of fulfilling his religious obligation or duty by going to church at least twice a year. And that twice a year, of course, was at Christmas and Easter. Well, <clears throat> the sermon that day that was preached was preached from a text, and, and it went something like this. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Isaiah 1.3. And <clears throat> Isaiah basically was saying that man is dumber than animals. Well, after church, the farmer kind of went home and he stood around his cows for a while. One of them began to lick his hand. 
kind of thought to himself, boy, that's pretty much a real practical demonstration of the sermon that I just heard. That strong man, he, he being a farmer, began to weep. And he thought, God did much for me, yet I never thanked him. My cow's far more grateful than I am. What do I ever give her other than grass and water? See, Isaiah said, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. After all that God's done for us, we should give him the best of our love. We ought to give him the best of our years, and he deserves the best of our talent. May God help us. Although we may not have an alabaster box filled with precious ointment, we all have love we can give. The best of our love. We all have years to give or whatever days we have left. The best of those days or years. And we all have talents to some degree or another. May we give him the best of them. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all that you have done for us. And we are grateful, Father, for that. And